We thank you for your presence, Father. We come into your house humbly, wanting God just to experience you this morning. Father, let your...
Yes, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, hallelujah. He 
give you glory. We give you honor. You are our king. You go before us this morning.
thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit, God. We thank you. Clear your mind, clear your heart right now for a moment. Just put all of the day's worries and all of the things that seem to distract us. Put them by the wayside. God is calling his people back to renewal, back to a place of putting their focus upon him once again. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Father. We look to you and only to you. You are our answer. You are the answer. <laughs> we surrender to you, God, in our spirit. We surrender our, our lives in all parts of who we are, mind, body, and soul, to your will and to your purpose this morning, God. Oh, Hallelujah. We don't look to tomorrow because we don't know what tomorrow holds, Father. But for today, we worship you. We praise you. We've come into your house to do battle today, Father. Mm. Clothed in our, in our warrior outfits, ready for battle. To do battle. This is how we do battle. We praise and we pray and we worship and we lift up your name. And we know, God, that when we surrender and we come before you wholeheartedly with everything that we have and we lay it at your feet, the battle is already won, for you've already won the victory upon our behalf. Your word tells us that you would do great things for those who love you. And we truly love you this morning. Hallelujah. Gee. Mm. 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 Jesus, we praise you. We worship you. Glory. You are worthy. You are worthy. Father, we ask that you, you just make yourself known today, God. You speak to us through your word. You bring us to um, a place of understanding as your word speaks to us, God, as we continue in our study of revelation the revelation that you gave to John for these days, these seasons, these times, God, that our minds would look to it and our hearts would focus upon it and we be our steps would be ordered by the things that you told us would come to pass and the signs that we would see and only we would see because we're your children. <laughs> I thank you, God, for what you're doing. We give you praise. Open our ears. Help us hear. But open our hearts, Father, and help us to receive your word this morning in Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Jesus.
God is good, amen. You feel the presence of the Lord in this place today? I do, I do, I feel his presence. I hope you came with the right mindset, the right heart this morning. Uh, you know, if, if, you, if you haven't gotten channeled in to what God is doing in your own personal life this morning, well, that's your own fault. Because that's what we do when we come in here for worship on Sunday morning. We begin to lift up the name of Jesus. Now, it's always my prayer and always my desire that when you come through the door the back there, that you've already gotten everything clear. That you've already taken off the burdens and laid them down and put all the junk aside because you trust God and you know God. But we know often we all have a, this tendency to pick it up and carry it in here with us, right? So we begin to praise, we begin to worship, we begin to lift up the name of Jesus. We're doing battle. The battle that we're doing is we're shaking off that junk. We're getting rid of it, and we're realizing that the one that's in control of it all is in the house. And he's in our hearts, and he's living in us, and he's here to do the work on our behalf and take care of the business at hand. And you know what? Again, as we lift his name up and as we praise and as we sing this morning, if you are not in that place yet, well, it's your own fault. Because God is in the house to do a work for you. He's in the house to do a work for you this morning. And that's the, I, I, I hate to put it any other way. You know, as a pastor, as a young pastor, when I was, you know, back two or three years ago when I was a young pastor, I used to put that junk on me and carry it around with me. I used to put your burdens on myself and carry it around everywhere I went. And God began to speak to me. He said, Andy, you can lead them to the threshold. You can speak the truth to them and show them the door, but you can't help them or make them step over as a matter of fact, if you help them or make them step over, it wasn't in me, it was in you. There's a lot of pastors out there nowadays that they're very eloquent with their words, and they probably are a lot more polished than I am when it comes to delivering a word to you. And they can even be enticing in the things that they say. And so we have to be careful, especially in this day and age, that we're not listening to the man, but we're listening to the word of God. Several weeks ago, probably... About, uh, what well, about two months ago now, we started a brand new series in the book of Revelation. Not the book of Revelations, the book of Revelation. It's one revelation given to John by Jesus. Spoke to him that he would share it with the seven churches of Asia Minor. John was uh, in, uh, in isolation. He was a man that had been exiled to Patmos, and he was in a horrible place. But God began to show him something. And in this, what he tried to do was take a picture that he had in his mind and his head and his heart that was being revealed to him and he tried to explain to you on paper what it looked like and that's kind of difficult sometimes because the words have a tendency to sometimes be left up to your personal interpretation you need the spirit of god to reveal these things to you but we also know that there were some keys in these scriptures that we were looking at and there's we called it the first week the cipher we talked about the cipher, that there's a cipher to looking at the book of Revelation. And we also know that the first chapter talks about the outline of the things that were, the things that were happening right then, and the things that were to come. In the first chapter, we talked about the things that had already taken place. 
Chapters 2 and 3, we looked at the things that were to come. The seven churches were involved with that. And we know that Asia Minor was spoken and uh, that those churches were in that place at that time. Those seven churches giving us a time frame, kind of if we looked at it. Also, we know that in those, uh, those past scripture, we got to see time in history coming from the time that Christ died to where we are now. And we also that there were several things about those churches that spoke to us in today's church. And we're living in the era of the church of Philadelphia, Laodicea. We're living in that time where, where it, it, it's kind of hard for us to decipher. We want to be the kind of church that God said he's coming back for without spot or blemish. We want to be the temple of God that he's in us, pointing to the things that God would have. We want to embrace all the things, all of the weapons, all of the tools, all of the promises that God gave us that as the church were ours to endure until his return. We want to know that we have all of those things at our arsenal this morning. I'm here to tell you today that you do have those things. The second chapter looked at a place. We talked about the letters. It was a historical book, but it also had different things in there pointing to that particular time. Chapters 3 looked at the good and the bad habits of those churches and the traits of those churches. And some had, uh, some had a few bad, some had some uh, didn't have any bad, but some only had some bad. We want to avoid those things that spoke to us. In chapter 4, it starts to paint a picture of what heaven looks like. It starts to paint a picture of what the throne room of God looks like. And from the, from the uh, chapter 4 until about chapter 19, I believe it is, we don't see anything else about the church. Now, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but I have to tell you that I'm going to tie my shoe because I don't want to fall off here and break my neck this morning. Is that all right with you? All right. <laughs> do I need to tie the other one too? Yeah, let me do that too. I'll show you all my socks to me, Tim Cool. Oh, the throne room of God. The church is gone. It's not here, but we begin to see that picture painted for us of what God's throne room looks like. And I believe that that was shown to us at that time because God was giving us a picture of what we were going to be missing if we didn't make it in the rapture, if we waited. And we're going to talk about several things this morning that are going to point to that. Chapter 5 spoke of the one who was worthy to open the scrolls. I was reading this past week and was reading about the book of Revelation and some different things in here. And when you get to chapter 5, you start to see, uh, and 6, you start to see these uh, different things that happen. We've talked about them a couple of weeks ago when I was here. And I want you to understand that there are going to be waves of these things that take place. And what it picture it painted for me, it really gave me a good visual idea of how this is all happening. Is if you've ever seen the, the Russian dolls that stack on top of one another, and when you open one, there's another one and another one. And all of these things that are, there's like three waves that are going to be coming to us. We talked about the scrolls. The scrolls looked something like this, a white horse. It was the revelation of the Antichrist. And I told you in that that there was a spirit of Antichrist that was going, in, going to inhabit a man that would be called the Antichrist. But the spirit of Antichrist is probably already in our midst today. 
We're already seeing the spirit of Antichrist in our world today. A lot of the things that are beginning to press in on us and overtake us and make the world look harder and harder to sustain and to live in. It's the spirit of Antichrist. We as the people of God have been called to press back against the spirit of Antichrist. We've been called to call upon the name of Jesus. The Lord began to really deal with me around the time that I was studying this chapter about us as a church and about our prayer life and about how we may be doing some praying on our own, but I believe there's a lack of consistency sometimes in our prayer life and our pressing in to the King of Kings. So God has been showing me sometimes we as a church are going to start getting together praying, but I want to offer you this started this morning in the teenage youth room here from 1040, I mean, 10, I'm sorry, 1020 till about 1050, it's going to be open every Sunday morning for prayer. And I'm asking you to join me. Wouldn't it be amazing if we came in and went in this room here and the presence of God began to fill the whole temple, began to fall out into the hallway and into the room here, and we could sense and feel the presence of God. I'll be honest with you. I I felt it this morning in a different level, I think, because of that particular time where we went there, we began to pray, we began to call upon the name of Jesus. We began to ask God to lead us, not to, not in ourselves. See, I don't want to be, as the book of Revelation speaks about, a man who stands in a pulpit and can eloquently speak words to you that would sway you one way or another, giving you things that will tickle your ears and make you. I want to be able to stand before you with the anointing of God upon my life and speak, thus saith the word of God and speak it and know that you hear it no matter what. You need to know this. When I speak the word of God, either you say, oh me, or point to them or something going on in your life. I don't know what it is, but that's not your pastor throwing conviction upon you. That's the spirit of God. speaking to you and saying that's within me and I need to pray about it and I need for it to be removed from me and the only one that's able or capable of getting that out of my life is the presence of God. See, sin and things that are in you that keep you from God cannot remain there when the spirit of God gets in you. When he starts welling up inside of you. When he starts, he, those convictions, you know, that's another thing. One of the things that I have seen exit the doors of a church in the last 10 years is the word conviction. We just want to come in and hang out, Matt. We want to wrap our arms around each other, love on each other a little bit. By the way, I missed y'all last week. Not your fault, my fault. I wasn't here. I want, I just, you know, those things that are, that, that are in us, we need, when you're in the presence of God, you can't hold on. Oh, by the way, I wouldn't point my finger and saying it was them. Huh? That's the Holy Spirit convicting you, not me now. <laughs> the Spirit of God comes inside of us. And when, and, and when we are seeking his will and we're seeking his way, the things that are of this world cannot remain in a place of priority. They can't stay up in the forefront any longer. For, for our own personal lives, for our, our, uh, uh, our family's lives, for our kids' lives, 
You know, I was talking with some, uh, some of the worship team this morning for just a few minutes about about our about youth and teenagers and things like that. And when I was growing up, or even when I was a youth pastor several years ago in the South here, Wednesday night was untouchable. The schools didn't touch it. They didn't do anything. We didn't put things that would happen on Wednesday night because guess what? Because we were trying to make sure that our kids were in a place where they could, their lives could be spoken into and the Spirit of God would be, be able to rise up in them. That was a priority for us. I remember when, and I'm fixing the metal a little bit, when having a party or doing things on Sunday afternoon or Sunday period, other than being in the house of God, was a no-no. You didn't do it because that was God's day. But see, what we've done is we've allowed, and it's as much the church's fault, it's as much the pastor's fault, it's as much as any, our faults as it is anybody's. But what we've allowed is we've, we've given ground. We've given ground to that was ours. And I'll be honest with you, I think it's time that we stand up and start to gain a little ground ourselves. We've got to push back. We have to push back because let me tell you where we're going if we don't. There's going to be only a few moments in our lives that are going to be designated as God time. And that'll be the few moments when you maybe get out of bed if you want to on a Sunday morning and you come in and you listen to a preacher get up and try to say something that'll tickle your ears and make you feel better. And you'll get comfortable with those types of things. And I'm not that guy. I don't want you to be that way. I'm always going to try my best to speak truth, no matter whether you receive it or like it or not. The truth is the truth. And we have to be willing to push back. Satan is trying to overtake this world. And the spirit of Antichrist is starting to gain more and more ground. Do we want to know why it's... We're looking at the things in our world right now, and I'm, I, I'm, I still haven't dove into this yet. I'm still trying to get there. This is just something I think God's telling me, okay? The reason why we're looking at the world and we're looking at all these things that seem to be being accepted, and even sometimes we're giving our own self, we're saying we want to be a little bit, okay, we want to be tolerant of that, is because... We gave too much ground before, and now we're at this place where pushing back has become more and more difficult because we are more and more in the minority. And I'm not talking about minority in the number. I'm talking about minority in the spirit. The Word tells us that we are to do battle in the heavenly places, that the battle that we're doing is not of flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and it's against the, the demonic forces of this world that are trying to defeat us. Here we are as a people that are trying to, we're looking and we're reading Revelation and we're 
studying it, and we want to know the signs. But let me tell you something. I can tell you the signs all day, and you're going to see the signs more and more and more, and they're going to press in on us more and more and more. And if you have not made up in your mind that as for me and my house, no matter what, I'm going to stand up in the face of the adversary, and I'm going to serve him notice in the name of Jesus that I've given as much ground as I'm going to give. And I'm going to start to march. I'm receiving my marching orders from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'm pressing into what he wants for me and my family. If you have given too much ground, it's time for, I hope the Spirit of God right now is convicting us of giving too much ground. And I hope there's a holy boldness like a lion that is starting to rise up in us. That we will roar with all the power and the presence of the God that we serve. Because he is victorious. <laughs> he is victorious. We win, don't you get it? We win in the end. We are victorious in him. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. The scrolls are devastating things that begin to open up in our, in our world, we begin to see. And I was looking back this week at that chapter in chapter 6, and I was reading those, and I realized something about it. I shared with you guys the first six, but you know, five of those things that happened in the, first, in the chapter 6 in Revelation can kind of be explained as, well, that's just a phenomenon. It's just something that's kind of happened. You know, it took place, and it, you know, there's a famine. Well... We're in a lot of places in the world today. There's a family. Has anybody really changed their mind about whether or not there's a God or not? There's going to be a a place where, uh, you know, there's going to be a a pandemic. Oh, there's going to be disease that's going to come upon us. Really? There might be a disease. Has anybody really, has it really altered your thought about God one way or the other? Have you been shook to the very core of your life to where you're willing to push back now and say, okay, this is a sign that there is a God, there is a, there is a creator? Well, in this room, I hope most of us have already made our mind up about that. But let me tell you something. We can become complacent in our knowledge. We can become complacent in our understanding. If you, I'm telling you, if you're not being challenged and you don't think you have to push back, then you've probably become a little complacent. Complacent because when the pandemic, when the things have hit, when the trials of our lives and all the things that we struggle with begin to press in on us, if 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 we're if we're just standing up on okay, everything's you know we're we're it's just the way it is, but it really doesn't make us take notice of the fact that there's a God in heaven, a creator of the universe, one who made it all and has everything in his hand and it's all spinning according to his will and his purpose and everything is going to be brought to fruition the way that he said it would, then probably we've become a little complacent. We don't need to be complacent. We need to go forward. But when you get to eight, when you get to, I mean, I'm, uh, in chapter six, you get the, to the sixth scroll in chapter six. You start to say, well, that thing right there might be a little bit challenging for me just to see and not know. See, it seems to have a little more of a supernatural kind of connotation. It says, then I saw him, the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. Now, I heard a guy say that maybe there's going to be an earth, uh, there's going to be a, uh, a volcanic ash. It's going to go all over the world, and it's going to just kind of block out the sun. 
It says the entire moon became like blood. Okay, now we're starting to see something that might be outside of our scope of being able to explain. You may have an idea what that, you could you maybe explain that away as, but I personally have not. It said the stars of heaven fell to earth as the fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Sounds like to me something supernatural is starting to take place in the earth there. Supernatural events will be recognized by those who are in relationship and understand God as not normal. And they'll be the things that would pull us towards him or have we had knowledge of God. Now, let me say something to you. You don't have to worry about the scrolls, Ronnie, because I believe you'll be where I'm going to be. I believe that will already have taken place. But some of us, even in this building today, we may be here when that takes place. We may have surrendered our mind, but not surrendered our heart. See, the word tells us that we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we must be willing to ask for forgiveness. And the word ties the heart to it, though. So I know there are probably a lot of people that have confessed some sin, some thing they've done in their life. And there may be even people that say, I believe in Jesus. But if you hadn't made that confession in your heart, well, I want you to know, I don't believe you're ready. The heart connection to it is the key the word speaks to. As we begin to continue to read, we know as we pick up verse 7, I'm in chapter 7, verse 1, I want you to see something. It says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending, another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservant of our God on their foreheads. Now, <clears throat> I forget the literary term for this, but... There's an actual term that goes to pointing the way this, this passage of Scripture is working. It says, after this. We know in chapter 4, when he said after this, he was talking about things that were to come. But in this particular place, it's not talking about things that were to come after the seals. It's talking about things that he saw after the seals. And he was only able to paint this picture. The truth is... Chapter 7 is probably happening at the same time as the things in chapter 6. In other words, as we begin to read chapter 7 and see the things that are going on here, we need to know that they're happening at the same time as the scrolls are being unearthed and unrolled. Because we know that in the scrolls, in the roll, uh, the time that the uh, scrolls are unrolled, that there are going to be people that are going to die. 
We know that there's going to be things that are going to happen. The wind's going to blow. We know that there's things that are going to take place that are going to have to take place for us to even sustain life upon this planet. We also know that if we look at that and we begin to read at it, we'll see this literary term bringing us back to an understanding that these things were happening at the same time. See, this phrase does not necessarily mean, it doesn't imply that it was the thing that happened after. Now, I want you to understand something also. This is another key or another cipher to understanding the whole book of Revelation. There's going to be many places when they're saying after this, but they're not talking about the fact that it happened later. They're talking about it was something he saw and he wanted to describe after he had described this. But they were happening at the same time. There are many moving parts. This book that we read, there's a lot of things in it. If, if what we've studied so far was the, was the difficult part of it, then, then most of us would not have already said we have a hard time understanding it. See, a lot of people don't read the book of Revelation. I'll admit I don't preach it a whole lot because it's very difficult to explain and to, to, to share with people and to talk with people about. And there's times in myself, I, I'll be honest with you, I just, I just don't understand it. There's other things that are much more simple and seem to be, to me, more important than understanding this because I don't plan to be here during this. See, I, but I want to tell you something. There are some people that may not, that are going to hear this, and they're going to, it's going to be brought to remembrance. They're going to remember, and they're going to know that the things that are happening are from the Lord. See, when we look at the beginning with the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, which I want you to know is a euphemism for meaning over the entire earth, it says these angels are said to be holding back the four winds of the earth which means that they prevent wind from blowing anywhere. And also notice in verse 2, a mention of the rising of the sun. And again in verse 3, we're told that nothing on the face of the earth may be harmed until at least the, um, uh, for a time. But just a moment ago, we heard the opposite, that winds were blowing, the, the sun was dark, and the face of the earth was devastated. So clearly, the events of chapter 7 predate even the events that maybe happened in chapter 6. Therefore, we come, we, uh, we come to see that the chapter is described events that start at the beginning of a tribulation. So chapter 7, somebody, I heard somebody say it like this. When they were saying after this, it was like he was saying, meanwhile, back at the farm. You know, you're, you're watching a TV show, right? And there's some things that have taken place, and then all of a sudden, you know, it happens a lot in the Marvel movies when you read the comic books. You know, you read, meanwhile, over in New York City, Superman was handling this, or Batman was handling that. And that's kind of what we're seeing here in this chapter. Is that It's a meanwhile thing. Things are happening, and they're taking place. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, if you look at verse 3 here, it says this right here. It says, uh, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servant of our God on their forehead. Now, if you've heard or heard anything about Revelation, you know that there's a place 
that it talks about there's going to be, anybody ever heard the number 144,000? If you've ever heard anything about Revelation, you've heard this number. 144,000. And as it goes down, it says this right here, and I heard the number of the sealed. Now, do we know what the seal is that this 144,000 are going to have? Probably not, but it, we could probably find a little bit of the clue of it if we look. Um, I believe it's in, uh, in chapter 11. We look in chapter 11, we can look, or 14, I'm sorry. It says, then I looked and there, there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 140,000 who had his name and his father's name written on his forehead. Now I'm going to go into chapter 14 a whole lot today. I'm going to kind of go back to that later, but I wanted you to know that there is a place where it begins to point to what this sign is. Now I heard another pastor say that was teaching this. He says, you know what? It may, this thing that is going to be, may be just something that is upon the countenance of the 144,000. In other words, there's going to be a place in the book of Revelation where people are going to take a seal. They're going to have a mark that is put upon them. And there's going to be need to be a differentiating mark upon those that have not taken it. In other words, they're going to have this number or this seal or this uh, uh, different thing in their hand that's going to be evidenced by the number 666. And they're going to have this and people are going to know. And because of that, you'll be able to buy and you'll be able to eat and you'll be able to uh, trade. You know what? I, I heard something a couple of weeks ago about this, that they were kind of working the math on some of these scrolls. And they were saying that a loaf of bread would cost about $60 during this time. Can you imagine $60 for a loaf of bread? And I don't even eat bread anymore. I can't imagine trying to eat bread right now, but $60 for a loaf of bread. We think things are expensive right now, don't we? Anybody seen any inflation happening over the last couple of years? Things going up, getting more and more expensive? I think we need to read the signs. 2 Corinthians 1.21 says this right here. Now he who established us with, uh, with you in Christ and atoned, anointed us in, is God, who has sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts and our pledge. Another thing that we need to realize is that we as Christians, we have been sealed. We've been sealed with the Spirit of God within us. And if that's not coming out of us, then we need to check and see if it's in us. We, that's the honest truth. If, if we become complacent, we're not being bold for the kingdom. If we're, because we are to be the witnesses and the test, those that give the testimony in those days. Revelation 7 and 4 says this, and I heard the number of those who were sealed. Now, <laughs> there are some religions today that would... They try to say that the interpretation of this is that they are the 144,000, okay? But there's some things that have to take place before the 144,000 are sealed, but they say that they are the 144,000. Now, I was talking to uh, Ms. Shea this morning, and I know this particular religion, this particular denomination now has about 
8 to 10 million people that are followers in this denomination, this religion. And so it kind of, it made me perplexed a little bit. I'm like, so what they're saying, there's 8 to 10 million of them, but only 144,000 of them are going to be saved. When she shared with me something that she knew about it, and that was that now they've shifted because when they first, this prophecy or this this, uh, revelation first came about, there was only about 144,000 that knew that were in part of this. But now there's 8 to 10 million that are a part of this, they have shifted it. Now they're saying that the 144,000 will be the elders, the leaders, the ones that will be put in higher places. They carry more weight and they have more authority in their position. Now, it's funny to me because if you know anything about, we've talked about the numbers and different things like that, the number 12, which we're going to read a lot about here, this 144,000 is a multiplication number of 12 times 12. And 12 in Scripture points to government. It points to the authority of government. Okay? And so we know that, uh, that you can take that and try to, if you leave some things out, you could make that about something that's happening right now. But the Scripture is very clear about who these 144,000 people are. It talks about the 144,000. It says this, and I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, I know that there are some that would, in the, even in this denomination, they try to make it shift that we are now sons of Israel because we've been brought into that by, by the covenant, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are now sons of Israel. But Scripture is very clear that everything that uh, God does for humanity, He does it through the nation of Israel and through the Hebrew people, the, the Jewish nation. He does that for us. And so when it's speaking to this and it's talking about this, it is actually talking about uh, the Jewish people. They will, the people, the 144,000 will be Jews. Now, if you have any question about that, it goes on to explain it. It says that these people will be from the tribe of Judah. There will be 12,000 were sealed. And from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. And from the tribe of Gad, 12,000. And from the tribe of Asher, 12,000. And from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. And from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. And from the tribe of Simon, 12,000. And from the tribe of Levi, 12,000. And from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. So that's pretty plain to me. But also I know that that in today's season, most of the Hebrew people, the nation, of the Jewish people, they don't know what tribe they're from. They don't know what tribe they're from. There's a few because of their last name that I read that, that they there's a few of the last names that actually point to the tribe of Levi. So they, uh, some of them do, but most don't even know what tribe they're from. So it would take a supernatural thing to take place. Now, uh, for, for 12,000 from each tribe to become a part of that, to become a part of that 144,000, let me point to the supernatural effect of this. This passage of Scripture does not point to 144,000 or 143,399. 
It's an exact number of 144,000. And this scripture talks about how they will be called, they will be set apart, they will be put into place to put into motion the things that God has intended for the end. They're going to be not of any court of their own, not of anything they've done, not of anything they, any power that they have or any hierarchy that they have, but because God designated them. And he's going to designate 12,000 from each tribe. Now, I know there's a, actually 13, but, and we'll talk about that another time. I'm not going to get on that with you, but I know there's one that has been pulled out of this. There's one that's been separated from this, and there's, there's some reasoning or some thought behind why that is. But I want you to know something. So it would, don't you think it would take a supernatural act of God for 144 Jews, 1,000 Jews, from 12 different tribes, the exact number of 12,000 from each one, to all of a sudden turn their back on what they actually believe to be true because what they're going to be saying in essence is now that we recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah. At the same time in history, it's going to begin to take place. It's going to take place at the beginning of the tribulation. As a matter of fact, it's going to take place at the time that the church has been raptured out of here. And there's this miraculous thing that's taking place all the earth. And the world is going to be trying to explain it in every way that they can. They're going to try to say that the ancient aliens finally came back and got us. I watch that show all the time. I love that show. People are like... What do you watch it for? It shakes my faith, man. It makes my faith get stronger. Because I got to tell you right now, everything they're saying on there is just a different perspective of what I already know to be true. It's the truth. They're explaining that there's, that there's a, 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 Tim said to me this morning, so we were talking about, he said, he said, if you really think about it, an alien is anything that's not of this world. We were created, this world was created by something that was not of this world. <laughs> So that would in turn make an alien, but not in the physical. See, they want to make the physical an alien thing. We want to make, we want to understand that Jesus and God is a spirit thing. And he created us to be spirit beings, to live in the spirit. That's why it's such a challenge for me sometimes to see how we feed the flesh so much. Even as Christians, we want to make it about the flesh. What makes me feel good right now, and it doesn't matter what else, when we should be saying, what would God have us do in the spirit in every circumstance, in every situation? What God's called us to be and to do. I can't see in my life or in my understanding of the scripture how it could be anything other than 144,000 Jews. And let me tell you what they're to do. They are going to evangelize the world. They're going, to, they're going to evangelize the world. Now, I've heard it said that people think that you won't be able to be saved during the tribulation. And I personally think, even with my own head knowledge, that there's no way that you could keep me from <laughs> acknowledging that there was a God when I saw these things take place. 
When I saw this start to take place, I know that my heart is going to connect the dots there. I know that it's going to take place. I'm thankful I'm not going to be here, but I do know that I have enough sense that I'll be able to connect the dots if I have the knowledge. As we go on, we need to know that these are the servants of God. These 144,000, they are God's servants. They are doing his bidding. They are doing his will. They are from all the tribes of Israel. They are going to be the believers, the Jewish believers who have been redeemed from the earth. They've been called out of their place and the things that they maybe have even grown up in. And they're going to acknowledge that Christ came and the only way to God is through Jesus. And they're going to be saved during their tribulation. And here's the deal. They're going to be protected from it. They're going to be protected from all of these tragedies, all of this stuff that's taking place. They're going to, all these scrolls being opened, the trumpets that are going to take place, all of the devastation that the word tells us that if God did not cut it short, no man would survive it. No man would live through it. You know, I know that there are a lot of people that think, how is it going to be, how are people going to be able to be saved? Well, I, I got to tell you, there's going to be a lot of people saved. There's also going to be a lot of people that are going to be martyred. Some statistics point to the fact, and I don't really know how they come up with this, but they say that, that as many as 95% of all people that get saved during the tribulation are going to be martyred. They're going to die during that time for some reason, for some way. But if we continue to read on down, we learn that there are going to be some people that are going to be here that do get to saved and that are not Jews. It says, after this... Everybody say, after this. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude. Say multitude. Say, that's a lot. That's not just one. All right? Multitude. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could count, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and uh, along with their elders and four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And he goes on in verse 13. It says, the one, then one of the elders asked me, who are they? So here it is. There's this great multitude that's there. They've been washed. They're in white. They're in robes. And I love it again because it's really easy to interpret because it goes on to ask John. They, they look at John. They say, hey, John, who are these people? Who are these people? They say, then the one of the elders asked me, who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? Now, I love John's answer because I've, I've had this exact answer myself before on things. I knew the answer, but I was afraid I might not know the answer well enough, so I just kind of pass it off. John stands up, he goes, you know. I said, you, you know, you know, you know who it is. Um, um, 
He says, and then that being told him, then he told me, these are the ones that are coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the lamb who is the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now listen. I'm not going to be here. Okay? And I've heard it said that people don't understand how when the Spirit of God is no longer here, which is what we perceive that Revelations is saying, we think that it says that the Spirit will leave the earth and it will be given over to... But I have to tell you, even through the tribulation, that just like the Spirit of Antichrist is starting to press in now, starting to gain ground. That's the way it'll be. The Spirit of God is just not going to... But the Antichrist, the Spirit of Antichrist, is going to gradually press in. Because if God did not leave or did not stay or did not have his Spirit here to press back against the darkness, against Satan, there is nothing that would hold him back from destroying this earth. He would destroy every living thing, everything on it, because that's his mission. That's his plan. He wants to destroy everything on the earth. Word tells us he wants. He came for one purpose. He is here on this earth to steal, kill, and destroy. He only has one weapon. Let me tell you what it is. The weapon he has, he's formed trying to form against us is nothing but a lie. He takes the lie and he tells you the lie, Bob. And you start to buy into the lie, Bob. And the next thing you know, you get up and you want to kill the pastor. Or he tells you a lie and you start to buy into the lie. And the only way that we can press back against that is with the Spirit of God in us living and pressing back. That's happening right now on the earth. The Spirit of Antichrist is here, and it's pressing in, and we have not gotten into the throne room. We have not fallen on our face before God. We have not gotten on our knees and surrender enough to be able to recognize what's taking place. And the lies are beginning to infiltrate even the church. The lies are infiltrating, let me back up, the buildings and the corporate people that come together that say we make up a church. But the lies will not infiltrate you as the church or me as the church. If I truly am the church, the church of the living uh, Lord, Jesus Christ, it won't infiltrate me. Oh, it'll try to manipulate me. It'll try, but it won't because I will be able to discern and recognize. And that's what we have to do. We have to be a people that recognize that we've been called to discern and begin to press back against the darkness. How many in here this morning would say, Pastor Andy, I'm ready to press back. I'm ready to fight back. 
I'm ready to push back. I'm, I'm over giving ground. I'm over giving ground. I will give my life for the kingdom. I have been called as an ambassador. I am not a citizen of this world. I'm only here as an ambassador. Only here as an ambassador. Stand with me this morning. So we read the first six seals in the chapter six. And then we get to chapter seven, and it begins to lay out all this background work that's happening beforehand, and it's starting to point to this 